Hi everybody, time for my food podcast today. I'm trying to keep everything separate from political. Uh, time to talk about Hawaiian spices and Hawaiian rib barbecue or barbecue at all. Now, I want everybody to remember that um, barbecue is, uh, as all cooking is, an expression of the soul. It's an expression of your family. It's an expression of your culture. Now, I mentioned a lot of different barbecues around the world. And then I made an addendum because I've totally forgot about Hawaiian barbecue. One of the most famous and simplest forms of barbecue is traditional Hawaiian barbecue. Now, what people have to understand about Hawaii is that it had very um, restrictive trade. Uh, It's very kind of isolated in a lot of ways. And while a lot of problems came with oppressive colonization of Hawaii, and, uh, I mean, some horrible things that uh, the U.S. did to the royal family of Hawaii. Um, you know, it, 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 there's no real excuse for what the U.S. did. Um, Hawaii's only previous contact uh, with trade and other tribes resulted in some nasty, really bloody wars. And so Hawaii has a a varied history of peaceful um, and bloody conflict, like any nation. Um, There there's some terrible things that uh, people of Hawaii did too. Uh, But that's true for all humanity. Uh, Having said that, because of some of the warring period, it wasn't until colonization that Hawaiian trade expanded. Now that, once again, I'm saying facts. I'm not saying justifications. You know, with colonization, there were some terrible things. Uh, But there were also some good things in terms of expanding the food and expanding spices and expanding everything else. So, um, In a lot of ways, it's difficult to determine what traditional Hawaiian food tastes like because when expanded trade happens, Hawaiians were like, finally something new. I'm not joking. That's really what happened. And all sorts of cuisine exploded over Hawaii. And then, uh, you know, very little of traditional Hawaiian cuisine expanded outwards because a lot of traditional Hawaiian cuisine, you could only get that stuff on Hawaii. Uh, Obviously, except for the adopted plant of the pineapple. See, you know, if I remember correctly, the pineapple was brought over to Hawaii, um, you know, centuries ago. Even the famous, famous coconut is not native to Hawaii, despite the fact that uh, coconut trees are everywhere. You go anywhere, you find a coconut tree. In fact, you know, some tourists, they're lucky enough to have a coconut drop and they just take the coconut home, uh, which is permissible, uh, depending on where you are. So, what are 
traditional Hawaiian spices and foods. Well, traditional Hawaiian spices and foods include the uh, diet of kalo or taro, um, the sweet potato, and the breadfruit. Uh, that's uala and ulu, if I'm pronouncing them correctly. Uh, sea salt is a traditional uh, seasoning and the first spice that the Hawaiian Islands uh, cultivated. You know, salt has always, always is the first spice that humans cultivate in any culture because we need salt in our bodies, uh, but we have to manage it. You know, our bodies are a Petri dish and we have to keep our chemistry healthy as anyone with uh, any sort of dietary needs knows. Um, anyway, so uh, the sea salt I mean, sea salt is sea salt, right? I mean, a lot of people swear they can taste the difference between salts. I just, I just don't really agree. And I know that salt is often used uh, for a number of different things like sodium and everything else. And I, I use it interchangeably and that's technically wrong uh, because sodium, while it is a representation of salt, you can have high sodium uh, season, forms of seasoning like teriyaki sauce or a soy sauce, uh, which does taste vastly different to salt because it's more than just salt. Uh, so, but in this particular case, the Hawaiians used, uh, you know, sea salt. And sea salt's pretty common. No matter how you gather it, it's sea salt, sea salt, because it comes from the sea. Uh, limu is the Hawaiian word for algae. And algae is a very important part of the Hawaiian diet. <clears throat> Pardon me. As is poi. Uh, poi is more or less, uh, I mean, it's, it's edible mud, but it has a lot of ba bacteria in it, healthy bacteria. Um, and it is digestible. Uh, in a lot of ways. There's a lot of stuff in poi that's very digestible and good for you. Uh, inamona is a condiment made from roast mashed kukui nut meats. And Hawaiian sea salt and sometimes mixed with seaweeds like limu often accompanying the meals. So uh, inamona mona might be what you could consider to be similar to a relish uh, in a way, you know, because it's roasted. Uh, it would be roasted, mashed uh, type of spread. Maybe I'm, uh, maybe I should compare it to more like a, you know, it wouldn't be like a relish. It would be um, more like a, well, I don't know. I mean, just like a paste or mashed potatoes, it seems made out of kukui nut meats. And that's something that you could spread on food in order to uh, increase the taste. Uh, so you also have seaweed. Hawaiians would use seaweed in order to wrap their food. So what do you have? You have some um, basic uh, fruits, you know, the nut meats and all that stuff, which you can use in any number of ways. I mean, nut meats are uh, typically a squash-like uh, squash-like thing. You know, it's, it's, it's 
sinewy uh, in a lot of ways. That's the only way I can describe it. And uh, kind of tough. So, how would you make a traditional, traditional, I mean super traditional Hawaiian dish? Well, my suggestion would be uh, for whatever meat, you know, you know that's also part of the problem. Uh, Hawaiians were mostly fishermen. I mean, there really isn't traditional cattle or traditional chickens, even though they have chickens that are protected by the National um, uh, National Parks Association, right? There are some chickens that came over w with the first forms of colonies and they roam everywhere and you have to be really fucking careful when you drive if you kill a chicken when you're driving in hawaii if god when i went there how long ago was that 15 years ago um i went to Kauai, which is a really inexpensive vacation so if you want to go to hawaii on an inexpensive vacation go to Kauai. Uh, it's the smallest island. Uh, it's beautiful. It's very rural. Um, uh, it, it's it's a very calm, even temp temperatured version of California. I think is what I can say. Version of a California that's low population with a very nice beach. If you can imagine that, if that still exists. Um, so uh, Kauai is very relaxed um, and I love it I'm not getting into the politics of of how people who live on Hawaii you know how there are issues there with tourism really running them down but Kauai is a relatively depending on where you go if you go to a tourist area you're going to be paying $30 for a hot dog if you go to a non-tourist area convenience stores or whatever um, you're going to be paying a regular amount for a hot dog. So beware where you go. Kauai isn't, you can go somewhere in Kauai where you blow all your money. And you could go other places where they're nice small places to eat and very good. So that's my plug for Kauai. Um, at least that's what it was like when I went there. But like I was saying, the chickens there are not native. Although the Hawaiians adopted them as native, they came over with the first colonists. Famous Hawaiian pulled pork, the pigs were brought over with the colonists, if I remember correctly. Uh, and so, even though it was oppressive colonization, there were a lot of things that expanded Hawaiian culture, and I mean vastly expanded Hawaiian culture and Hawaiian cooking. Double-edged sword. You know, double-edged sword. Uh, no excuse for the oppressive colonization that happened. Uh, but uh, thankfully, some good things happened, and the Hawaiian culture survives today. So we can all be thankful for at least how some things worked out. And um, no excuse for the bad things. Anyway, so what kind of meats? Well, a lot of them would be fish. Uh, and uh, if you want to have, uh, if you want to go one step into colonization and trade, uh, the next step of meat would be chicken. You know, and with trade, you also have pineapples. And if you want, you can have some coconuts. 
Uh, so it depends on how far back you want to go. But we're talking ribs. So we're talking like five steps into colonization with beef. And, uh, or, or pork. Pork ribs are wonderful too. Uh, what other fruits were brought over with colonization? And what are the spices? Asian spices. Almost, almost every single Asian spice out there has made its way to Hawaii through trade. Um, you also have bananas. Wonderful bananas. And any number of different types of squash. Uh, you also have, I mean, I saw dragon fruit when I went to Hawaii, so I don't know when that was introduced to Hawaii. So, depending on how far back you go, depends on what, which one of these spices you want to use. Now, my suggestion is, uh, the more traditional you want to get, despite the meat that you have, use seaweed to wrap the meat, whatever you're cooking, uh, even if it's fish use seaweed. Uh, Hawaiians would also dry seaweed, much like the Japanese. So walk into an oriental store, get some dried seaweed. That will, um, there's only one way to dry seaweed and seaweed, seaweed, you know, basically. Well, I guess there are a few ways to dry seaweed, but it always, all, all winds up to be dry seaweed. So walk into Asian, any Asian store for dried seaweed. Uh, look for, uh, the nut fruit. Uh, see what kind of spread it is. See if you like the taste of it. You can pull and put the spread over the meat, uh, you know, on top of the meat while it cooks, while it's wrapped up. Obviously, you have uh, the sea salt, which is wonderful. You also have the uala, with, which is a sweet potato. Um, so, breadfruit, sweet potato... And um, taro is a tuber. It's similar to, um, I mean, it, it's very sweet. It's got sugary stuff when it's properly cooked and you have to cook it, otherwise it's poisonous. Um, God, what do I, what is, what does it taste like? You know, I can't even remember what it tastes like and I can't find a site that says what it tastes like. I remember somehow though, it tasted very similar to um, my grandma's mashed. Um, well, this just does not help me. Um, so my grandma would make cooked mashed uh, radishes and uh, very similar to mashed potatoes. And uh, I remember taro tasting like a very sweet version of that. Although a lot of sites say that it tastes like a sweetened mashed potatoes. So maybe my memory's off, or maybe I just had, um, maybe it was just cooked a different way when I went to that luau. In either way, as you would cook potatoes with ribs or other barbecue, you can cook taro. You know, just making sure it's done. The leaves are also often used uh, in terms of creating... Um, you know, like, uh, uh, kind of like how you would cook spinach and a lot of it's, and a lot of people say it has the same consistency as spinach. I don't remember eating any taro leaves. If I did, they must've not impressed me and just tasted like any regular leafy salad or plant or anything like that. You can't wrap anything in the leaves because the leaves just fall apart. 
right? So if you're going to wrap anything, use anything to wrap, use seaweed to wrap. Since taro has a natural sugary flavor to it, you wouldn't really need much to add to it, which is good because there isn't much in the traditional Hawaiian spices and herbs that uh, can be added. I know that there were some traditional uh, Hawaiian onions. Onions are very um, common around the world. They're a very basic plant. But for the life of me, I can't find the exact name of them. People keep talking about the imported onions. So, you know, I mean, uh, onions are basically onions. Uh, I would suggest if you want to try for a flavor of a traditional onion, you would go with scallions because they are like the simplest onion-like plant that's out there. Um, <coughs> oh, I'm so sorry about that cough. Uh, I'm pretty good about pausing, but I, I missed that one. Um, so that's all traditional Hawaiian cooking. Uh, and it depends on what you like. Would you like to cook squash with the taro, with the um, uh, meat fruit and nut fruit, uh, just boiling underneath the, um, the meat that you, you know, you, you can wrap in seaweed, maybe put a little uh, salt on it. I always suggest not to put too much salt. Uh, salt is good to bring out some flavor. Put too much salt and it's unhealthy and all you taste is salt. I would also suggest putting some like onions, uh, cut up onions on top of the meat with the salt. Um, what else can you do? Well, you can mash uh, the taro. You could cook a little bit, mash a little bit, use as a rub on the meat to get that sweetness from the taro because taro has natural sugars and it is very sweet. Get that sweetness in. You could also put taro leaves on the meat to get flavor, whatever flavor there is from the taro leaves. I don't think it's very strong. Um, and of course, you know, seaweed has its own flavor. When you uh, wrap something in seaweed, you definitely taste uh, saltiness from the sea and the seaweed. So if you want salt and you're going to, you have to decide, are you going to put sea salt on it or are you going to wrap it in seaweed? You know what I mean? Now, what else can you do? I've seen so many recipes with coconuts and coconut milk, especially since the Hawaiians adopted coconuts like you wouldn't believe. I mean, you know, one positive effect from colonization is the very healthy coconut uh, brought to those islands. So um, uh, the first thing Hawaiians did was they started making coconut sauce to put with their fish, which was absolutely fantastic. And when beef came over, that's when they were able to have butter. Because uh, you, you don't get butter from anywhere else uh, than cows. Uh, so you could baste your meat. You could actually have a milky barbecue, a coconut barbecue. Uh, those recipes, you know, feel free to look them up. There are dozens of them. But they basically boil down to um, getting all the coconut milk, getting the coconut shavings, covering the meat in the coconut shavings, and bathing the meat in the, or at least having a, a light thing of coconut milk on the bottom of the meat and basting it frequently. You don't really need much else if you're going to create a coconut barbecue. That's literally all you really need to do. Although, I, as I said before, I've seen other recipes of coconut sauces that are a little bit more complex. It depends on what your tongue likes. Um, I personally don't really like coconuts. Coconuts kind of make me sick to my stomach. Uh, I imagine that 
taro and coconuts, like mashed taro and coconuts, would go well, uh, similar to, you know, mashed taro and coconut milk, similar to pouring some milk in your potatoes and stirring them to make them nice and fluffy. Um, you know, uh, you could just cook your vegetables with the coconut milk, baste the, um, the ribs, and, uh, you know, as far as grilling, obviously your method of introducing liquid will be different uh, to it because you can't just, I mean, unless you're going to be using a pot on your smoker or in your grill, um, you're going to be having the ribs typically on top of the grill and or wrapped up after they are properly seasoned. Uh, pineapple. Pineapple glazes are the simplest thing. You mash the pineapple, you get the pineapple juice, uh, you know, you soak the meat. You typically cut into the meat a little bit to get the marinade in. No matter how, here's, here's, a, here's something that a lot of people don't understand about marinade, including a lot of cooks out there. And if you're one of these cooks and you're arguing with me, you're wrong. Meat are muscles. They are, they're sinewy. They are full of, of, um, of proteins, of, uh, you know, the meat is packed full. Uh, God, I'm rambling now. Meat is a very, very dense muscle. And animals are walking around all the fucking time. Think about how dense they are. You know, the, the myth about cow tipping, you can't because cows are incredibly strong. Cows kill people. You can't arm wrestle a fucking cow. Let's pretend you, you had a cow that arm wrestled. You as a human would lose every time. The rock would lose every time to an arm wrestling contest with a cow. Because as cows moving 1,200 pound body all the time. Now think about that in terms of of how tight those meat particles and atoms and, and cellular structure is. It's packed tight. No matter how long you soak that meat in a marinade, that marinade's only going to go in about an eighth of an inch after four hours. No marinade after four hours, will have an effect on the meat, period. So if you're going to marinate meat, you know, in fact, I, I've seen some, uh, some people say, well, uh, depending on the toughness of the steak and how much fat there is, some steaks you can only marinate for a half an hour. So depending on how tough the meat is and whether or not you're sticking holes in it, I mean... Four hours, maximum. Half an hour, probably good enough. I mean, it, it's just not going to soak through that muscle. That muscle is tightly packed. That's how we get so much protein from that muscle. It's tightly packed uh, cells where a few bites fulfill your minimum requirement for meat and protein. And, uh, I mean, you know, like 12 ounces, 
really only uh, all you need you know say you have a a burger a quarter pound burger and it fills you up for the rest of the day you don't feel like eating any more meat that's because of how tightly packed those cells are so i'm sorry i went off on the marinade okay the only way to really have a good marinade is if you poke holes in the meat and you pour the marinade in uh, let it soak 20 or 30 minutes is really all you need if you're poking holes in the meat um, in fact, sometimes I don't, I, I really don't marinate. I just rub it in, leave it in for five minutes and then I paste it, right? Another way is to boil marinade the meat. And that's when you wrap the meat up with the liquid or the, or the, um, the glaze. And in terms of, uh, marinade with pineapples, get crushed pineapples you probably don't want to season the meat or anything. You probably just want the pineapples uh, because you're going for sweet. So you don't want savory mixed in with your sweet unless you're going to have savory on one side and sweet on the other, which is a fantastic idea, by the way. You know, put some salt and uh, a little bit of any other herb. Uh, you know, so uh, what would I do? I would, um, what would I try? I would try like uh, mashed up taro uh, for a little bit of sugar. I might mix that in with the pineapple. I might not. I kind of like straight pineapple. On one side, on the back, on the other side, I'd rub it down with salt and I would, uh, I mean, the very, very little else is there. I might put some poi on it. Poi does have a fantastic taste. And uh, uh, any of the, you know, like uh, like some onions or whatever. Get some of that earthy, salty onion taste on one side and get some of that sweet uh, pineapple on the other side. These are just ideas. You know, it might not be great. But that's as close as you can get to classic Hawaiian barbecue. Uh, the more advanced you get, the more cultures you get involved in the food. And as I said before, food is an expression of culture and an ev 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 evolution of a location. And Hawaii exemplifies that probably more than any, anything else. Um, uh, one of the, as I said before, one of the favorite Hawaiian dishes out there is um, fish uh, with salt on the inside. You know, they cook the whole fish, including the head. Um, as many cultures do. And uh, if you find that gross, I guess cut off the head, cut off the tail. Um, but I mean, a f fish is a fish. Mm -hmm. Anyway, so um, the, uh, I'm sorry, that was a buzz buzz on my, th on my thing. So it all depends on what you want to do. The best thing I can suggest is research. But the simplest Hawaiian barbecue would be basting the meat and wrapping the meat in like crushed pineapple is what I would suggest. Uh, if you want to rub the backside, I would just go for a little bit of salt. And then you rub, wrap the meat up to get that nice, sweet pineapple flavor. Uh, poke some holes in it. Um, or just if you're using the crock pot method, or if you're using any type of pot to hold the meat, you don't need to wrap it. 
But if you do wrap it, you wrap it in seaweed, you get a little more salt. So beware of how much salt you, you rub on the meat. Um, <clears throat> put it on a bed of all that wonderful fruit that I mentioned. Uh, you know, that's great for ribs. And then you have like a classic Hawaiian stuff. You can mash the taro into like mashed potatoes. Uh, the other type of uh, nut fruit, you can use that to season the meat if you want. If you want to put it on the back side of the meat. It, you know, I don't, I'm not really sure about how that would taste because I've never tasted that before. It's just an idea. Any sort of spread, you can put on a meat and cook it. That's the general rule of spreads. Um, and so I would go just the straight pineapple route over taro. Uh, maybe I would have some, and I, this is where I'd have to decide, am I going to have coconut milk to broil the taro, add a little bit of coconut flavor to the meat as it cooks, or would I just go straight meat greasy flavor? Uh, and that's where you have to decide too. Now in terms of fish, um, it's very difficult to to grill fish without losing a lot of moisture. So you have to decide, am I going to wrap up the fish or am I not going to wrap up the fish? Uh, my suggestion is uh, whatever you want. I like fish both wrapped and essentially broiled on a grill as well as flat out grilled on the grill. Now, if you wrap a fish up, you can pour some coconut milk into it. Broil it with the coconut milk. Hawaiians love to cook their fish with coconut. Or you could just go the straight grilled amount and put uh, things like taro leaves on top of the fish. It's, they're not wrapped. They're just on top. You can put a nice little salty spread on top of it and some uh, seaweed either on top or in the center. And it will um, grill the fish with those flavors inside and outside. And as I've said before, I've seen poi used as a seasoning. Poi is a very, very light, earthy, um, you know, muddy type of thing to eat. So that's traditional uh, Hawaiian spices and how you can make some dishes. Obviously, go out there, look for some more recipes. I'm just giving you ideas and a short guide of Hawaii, its history, and what it had available to it. So beware if you see a recipe that says uh, Chinese five spices, uh, um, papaya, uh, coconuts, uh, whatever, you're moving away from traditional Hawaiian, but moving into modern Hawaiian Asian fusion. And that's not bad because that's still part of Hawaiian culture. So very traditional Hawaiian, you have very limited options. Uh, you have like uh, six or seven cooking spices, uh, squash, you know, you know, essentially spices and, and uh, vegetables. And you have one main meat, and that's fish. And so you can mix and match whatever you want in those five or six. You can make a couple dozen different combinations of how you want to cook it. It all depends on what you like the taste of. Remember, fully cook the taro because it's poisonous if you don't. Uh, and you move further away from that, you get pineapple, coconut, um, chicken, uh, beef, pork, etc., etc., etc. So it all depends on what era of Hawaii you want to cook in. 
what spices you want to add. And uh, when it comes to Asian influence, just take a lot of Asian, that those Asian spices. It, you can, you know, they're, I, I ate a lot of uh, non-Hawaiian food while I was in Hawaii. I ate food from um, uh, just from, you know, the Pacific Asian seaboard. Uh, I ate a lot of American influenced food. I ate some European influenced food. Um, even the traditional Hawaiian luau with the pig. Not really traditional. That was like modern traditional. Uh, but uh, it became a tradition. Became a tradition with the relationship to the colonization. And while there was very, you know, well, it was a, an, an impressive a colonization. In a lot of ways, a lot of symbiotic colonization worked its way, especially into the culinary diet of the Hawaiians. So that's my little lecture on Hawaiian barbecue. And um, there are so many recipes because they come all around the world when they met up on Hawaii uh, throughout its years. So uh, I gave you the basic ones. I hope you have fun. I hope you try some of them. Um, yeah, my, my favorite would probably be either, uh, it would probably be the traditional Hawaiian fruits and vegetables underneath the, um, the meat with maybe some scallions to represent the simple onions, um, and, uh, uh, pineapple, uh, covered, uh, a pineapple spread on top of it. So that's what I would cook. Uh, for a nice sweet pineapple glaze Hi everybody, so I need to apologize for how I ended that sentence. It's actually in the middle of a sentence uh, But then I got interrupted and the rest of the recording was Just destroyed if any of my recordings sound like a I'm talking through an oscillating fan Please forgive me the anchor app on the phone uh, tends to break and I don't always catch when it tends to break. So I don't always listen to my podcast all the way through. Uh, so far, though, I haven't heard any of that. If I have, please let me know. And I apologize to you if I've left something like that. Um, <clears throat> pardon me. So I left with talking about uh, a thick pineapple spread. In a lot of ways, that you know, you might add... It, when you cook a thick pineapple spread on something like meat... Scrape that pineapple spread off into a bowl and you have roasted pineapples even you know if you have the meat open uh, If you have the meat wrapped the pineapples are still wonderful I mean think about how pineapples can take a beating as far as cooking goes uh, so can other as citrus I mean you have pineapple upside down cake and you cook the upside down cake for like 45 minutes uh, if you don't wrap the meat when you spread the pineapples on it, uh, please wait until the last 45 minutes of cooking before you spread the pineapples on it. Or maybe spread the pineapples on it, and after 45 minutes, pull the pineapples off and put more pineapples on. Now, I know a lot of people will cook pineapples for two hours, okay? So it's not bad if you leave it on the meat. But cooking pineapples for 45 minutes turns them into a nice little side dish. Uh, so that's a great way to handle the cooking and to manipulate it. You cook them a really long. They, the longer you cook pineapples, the more they start to caramelize. 
as long as the pardon me again as long as the pineapples are not black charcoal they're still wonderful and tasty but let's say you don't want to eat the pineapples and you just want to put the pineapples on and just let them cook until they're a charcoal covering that's perfectly fine too because the juices of the pineapples will still soak into the meat especially if you puncture the meat but thinking as someone who doesn't like to waste ingredients um, I would cook them until they're nice and caramelized scrape them off into a bowl uh, you know it's a nice treat to eat you put some whipped cream on it my god ice cream and hot grilled pineapples think about that vanilla ice cream rocky road whatever you love that works with pineapples beware pineapples don't work with every flavor of ice cream <laughs> my sister my sister it wasn't my sister it wasn't my dad uh, i think it was my sister uh oh god maybe it was my dad's girlfriend jesus christ i can't even fucking remember it's back when my family was getting ben and jerry's there were a lot of toppings that did not work with some of those Bennett Jerry's flavors. Uh, so, you know, midway through, people are waiting for their food, depending on how long you're cooking your, your ribs, you know, 45-minute ribs or two-hour ribs, four-hour ribs. Depending on how long you're cooking your ribs and what, uh, what amount of heat, uh, you know, 45 minutes when the, or whenever the pineapples look nice and candied, you know, the heat determines when the count the pineapples will caramelize keep that in mind so keep an eye on your food don't just turn on a buzzer and walk away for an hour and then come back unless it's a crock pot you know what i mean uh when you're grilling you're, you're always by your food well remember that when you're grilling always be by your food don't check it every two minutes check it every 15 minutes every 30 minutes every you know that, that's fine enough you know um uh, you know, keep the grill open if you like open grilled food. Close the grill if you want it smoked. So, like I said, watch the pineapples. When they get nice and caramelized, look at how dark they get. You know, you can even taste, you know, take a little spoon, take a little pineapple off, wait for it to cool down, taste it, see if it's the right caramelized for you. Uh, pineapples provide sweetness, so if you want sweet and savory, make sure you put the rub on the other side. Don't put the rub underneath the pineapples. It will conflict with the pineapples. But you put the rub or, or whatever kind of rub you have on the other side. Uh, you know, maybe um, mix. You know, a great idea here is uh, either that um, uh, that nut butter uh, or whatever is that squash that they mash up. Either take the squash they mash up or poi. Mix it with uh, the salt, the... Um, uh, and the um, scallions to have it kind of slicked on the back side of the um, of the ribs if you want to do it that way or maybe you wrap uh, have a little bit of a wrap to keep the rub on the ribs however you want to keep the rubs on the ribs you know and with the scallions you know because scallions are a little bit heavy they might fall off burn up in the grill you don't want that or maybe you're grilling with the ribs in a pan. However you do it, make sure that the rub doesn't just fall into the fire. You know, make sure the rub can stay on while it cooks. So you have the rub on one side, or maybe you braise, braise them, or maybe you cook the rub first, then you flip it over and you put the pineapples on second. There are any number of ways to handle rub on one side, pineapples on the other. Any number of ways, whatever works for you, as long as it 
isn't, you know, seasoning the coals. You're not going to eat the coals. Keep the seasoning on the meat. That's my point. So think about that. Nice caramelized hot pineapples on a pre-dinner dessert. Or maybe you could put them in a pan and close them up next to the grill to keep the pineapple warm. You know, you don't have to serve the dessert first. You could just keep the pineapple warm. Stick it on whatever you want to eat. Oh my God. And uh, let's say you cooked Hawaiian bread. You know, pineapples on Hawaiian bread basically preserves. You know, uh, you know uh, cooked pineapples on Hawaiian bread. Bread is basically preserves. So, um, so many beautiful ideas with Hawaiian cooking. Simple ideas. Simple seasonings. Simple seasonings. Like two or three, you know? Um, and I've talked about Rastafari. Uh, apparently, I, was, I, need, I, I did not say it correctly. It's not Rastafari, it's Rastafari. Uh, so Rastafari cooking. Um, uh, much thanks to my, to my good friend. Uh, is simple, very few seasonings with good taste. So you've got plenty of ingredients there to make any number of types of 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 meat and barbecue sweet and savory savory sweet uh or just kind of plain maybe basted in coconut milk and uh if you want to really go super traditional hawaiian seaweed fish salt uh the simple onions maybe some taro um broiled in coconut milk or grilled with maybe some, you pour the coconut milk inside of the fish and then you grill it and you let it baste it. Maybe you wrap the fish in seaweed after you put the coconut milk inside the fish. And uh, that is a traditional Hawaiian fish grill or broil. You know, depending on where you want to put the ingredients uh, depends, and depending on how you want to grill, bake, broil the fish, will depend on whether or not you have nice searing on the fish meat. Um, do you want to scale the fish or cook the fish in the scales? You know, I have cooked fish both in scales and scaled fish. Now, remember, it's not always good. I mean, it's not really beneficial to you to eat fish scales. But if the fish scales are properly cooked, you know, they crisp up, there's nothing wrong with it. They won't kill you. Uh, a lot of times I will cook the fish in scales because the skin is a sort of natural wrap in addition to whatever else you use to close up the fish. And it keeps the juices of the meat inside. You scale the fish, you're going to have to make sure that you like grilled fish meat, uh, even somewhat darkened fish meat, um, before you do that. Some people don't like that. Some people like really juicy, soft fish meat. Some people like grilled and smoked fish meat, which is a little bit tough. It's got a little bit of a tug, but uh, it's nice to chew on and uh, great to eat. Uh, you have coconut milk in there, a beautiful flavor, uh, even though coconuts make me sick. I mean, listen, don't get me wrong. I love the taste of coconuts. I just, you know, I just can't really eat them too much. Uh, coconut milk is a wonderful cooking thing. I say cooking thing, I mean cooking ingredient. Um, granted though, as I said before, coconut milk is not super traditional. Coconuts were brought over 
but Hawaiians have totally adopted them into the traditional cooking. So how far do you want to go with traditional? How much of a Hawaiian or Polynesian taste do you want? Do you want mixed Hawaiian, Hawaiian Asian fusion, Hawaiian Polynesian fusion, Hawaiian European fusion? If you go straight Hawaiian, you're kind of limited. But the, Oh, you know what? Here's another example. Taro, as I mentioned before, is very, very sweet. Uh, like turnips or radishes. I think they're more like turnips. I think that was the vegetable I was thinking of. Turnips, not radishes. Uh, I, I mean, I'm sorry. I love them both. I eat, uh, you know, whenever uh, I can get some good turnips or I, I'm in the mood for it, eh, just forget about it. I, lo I love them both. Um, turnips, beets, radish, uh, you know, radishes. Um, you know, I, I, just, I love food. I love food. Let me just put it that way. I'm skinny, but I love food. You know what I mean? Uh, I can't always eat it. Sometimes I eat a dish once because it's a treat and I, I just remember the memory of the dish. So, um, cut up the taro. Uh, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. I hope I've got the right thing, the right uh, vegetable. Put it inside the fish. Put a little bit of, of salt on the outside of the fish. Maybe you want to Put some, no, I don't suggest putting salt on the inside of the fish. Uh, you put the leaves of the taro inside the fish for a little bit more, um, you know, flavoring. Uh, you could put some squash or whatever, you know, the sweet potato inside the fish. So you get a lot of that sweetness inside the fish as it poaches. And uh, if you wrap it up in um, seaweed, you don't need to add any extra salt. So... Uh, well, I don't know. I guess it depends on the seaweed. There's some seaweed that's dried seaweed, which is reduced sodium. Just, you know, depend depending on the seaweed, uh, maybe you want to put a little bit of salt on it or not. Um, and, of course, it's always fine to cheat by uh, spraying some lemon on your fish or whatever. Because uh, when lemons were brought over, they remained. So anyway, those are all of my suggestions for Hawaiian barbecue, traditional and otherwise. And you know what you can do with, with a Hawaiian meal? This is also a great suggestion for kids doing reports, right? Track the food that was delivered to Hawaii. Track the colonization and trade that happened in Hawaii. So do a history lesson. When did the Hawaiian cultures and tribes have contact with other people? Uh, you will learn some things about the Hawaiian tribes that are not very flattering. Let me tell you that right now. There was a period of extreme warfare and cannibalism. And, well, we're going to go ahead and take cannibalism off the traditional Hawaiian food list, okay? Uh, nobody wants that. Um... But uh, there were decades of peace with Hawaii. I don't want to make it sound like I'm saying Hawaiians are cannibals. It was just a, a short period of extreme warfare. And, and it, it was a terrible period where there were no resources on Hawaii. And then you had trade and, unfortunately, oppressive colonization, uh, which hap you know, happened soon and after. But with the, with the colonization and the trade brought more resources and more availability for any number of wonderful dishes and 
some social and technological advancement to Hawaii. And today we have a thriving U.S. state. Um, thank God the Hawaiian culture survived the oppressive colonization because, yeah, I mean, the the evil white people that came over and took over Hawaii and did terrible fucking things. I mean, those people that came over that took over Hawaii, I used to know their names. Uh, it was it was a group of rich um, barons that came over and assumed control over the government. They fucked over a lot. They tried to wipe out Hawaiian culture. Thank God Hawaiian culture survived. Uh, you know, the beautifulness of the Hawaiian culture, the stories, the language. The Hawaiian language was, almost became extinct, by the way. Uh, thank God it survived. And thank God the recipes survived. And if you look at the recipes, you can see the history of Hawaii, what happened to it and everything. And that would be a wonderful not only school report for a kid if you've got a child doing history reports but or even an adult talking about the effects of trade and colonization uh, of one more advanced uh, society moving into a primitive uh, more primitive society um, you know those are always fascinating things to go into um, but you could also have an experience with the entire family. On this day, we're going to have this uh, a more ancient Hawaiian food. Then we're going to move forward. This, these foods and spices were introduced when these traders and uh, pre-colonists came, and these foods and spices were introduced when the colonization began. And these foods and spices were introduced when these tradeways began. And these foods and spices were introduced after World War II. Uh, you can make a week out of it. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. I think I only gave four examples, but there are plenty of plenty of timelines that you can pick. And so, when you experience food, always remember, you're experiencing the culture. You're experiencing the culture and the history of the people. And... You can experience it in whatever way you want. Keep in mind, there's no set in stone recipe for for cultures. People make up recipes all the time. If you have the right spices and you like to cook it the way that it, you like the taste, someone from that culture, I guarantee you, cooked it the exact same way. Well, I mean, unless you're using a pressure cooker. Seriously, doubt anybody in Hawaii had a pressure cooker. Anyway, my point is... <coughs> If you cook it in a traditional manner and you mix the spices up to how you want it to taste, I guarantee you someone in that culture made that very dish. I discovered that a long time ago. I thought I was making up some of my own dishes. And then I find out I made dishes from Jamaica. I made dishes from ancient Rome. I made dishes from Africa. I made dishes from um, Britain and Europe. That were centuries old. And it's just a beautiful experience to cook and experiment. It's wonderful. And yeah, I'm using the word beautiful. I'm a man using the word beautiful in regards to cooking. And I do because cooking is providing sustenance and knowledge and a connection. And it's hard to cook another culture's food 
without learning about that culture. Mark Twain had a famous quote. And I went and looked up his exact quote. Let's hope that uh, this part of the uh, podcast is is, uh, perfect. Travel is fatal to prejudice, bigotry, and narrow-mindedness. And many of our people need it sorely on these accounts. Broad... Oh, come on, Ad. Broad, wholesome, charitable views of men and things cannot be acquired by vegetating in one little corner of the earth all of one's lifetime. That quote is very important. Now, it's also important to cooking. Many people can't travel. Many people want to travel the world. So we have travel books, but we also have cooking. Cooking will bring your mind and your body to places that you've never experienced. And it will enhance your view and give you a taste of a culture of which you may want to learn more about. So, I love you all. I hope you enjoy this podcast on Hawaiian cooking, on Hawaiian recipes, on Hawaiian spices. And uh, I'm sorry I may have played it a little... um, a little cheap on you by not giving you tons of Hawaiian recipes. But I hope that my ideas and my examples and the names of spices have given you ideas to create your own Hawaiian dishes. And maybe you'll find out that those Hawaiian dishes you created existed centuries ago. That's kind of like discovering an ancient civilization when you do that. And uh, it's always kind of cool to me. Like, oh, I'm going to make apple pie this way. Oh my God, this is how apple pie was made. Back in twelve, back in the Roman days, they actually made this exact recipe. My God, I can't believe I did that. That's a connection and an epiphany that is always fun to have. So love you all. Take care.